Ladies and gentlemen to Grizzly Bear Blues Live, I am your host Joe Molinax, and it's so good to be heard again on these airwaves of the GBB Podcast Network. Uh, you know, the core four and three and D and the starting five, the guys have been holding it down over these last couple of weeks while I've been away for paternity leave, but I am back and I'm so glad to be with you once again, whether you are on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, however you're taking in GBB Live, I'm so glad that you are with us and I am glad to be back with you. Uh, after the birth of our third and final, I'm going to make that very clear. Uh, my wife says she's at 95%, but I am at 99.99% final child, a baby boy, Mitchell Eugene Mullinex. Yes, you got that right. M-E-M. A happy coincidence that the initials are Memphis born, but uh, Mitchell Eugene is here and I'm excited to have him. I'm excited to be here with you. Life is good. And life is good for the MVP of Grizzly Bear Blues through the first six weeks or so of 2021. He's the associate editor who has stepped up while his boss has been away having kids and doing weird winter football seasons. His name is Parker Fleming. Parker, how are you doing, buddy? MVP, wow. I mean, that's a, mood, that's a mood booster right there. But uh, no, I'm doing good, Joe. And it was great to hold down the fort. The the content of, with the GBB Live that I did with uh, Jeff Calkins of the Daily Memphian and 92.9 and then Grind City Media, Stephen Walker. It is evergreen content. Nothing's going to age bad with that. So make sure you all tune into those episodes on our podcast feed. They're really, really fun conversations. So, Joe, I appreciate you giving me the reins of your child, your podcast child. Absolutely. No, you know, I mean, I'd say that at this point, even GBB to an extent is kind of my baby here. So I, I'm, uh, you know, maybe I have four kids, you know, maybe I have <laughs> Caroline and Abby and Mitchell and, and grizzlybearblues.com. Who knows the site that we, uh, that we both are so fortunate to write for. Make sure you're checking grizzlybearblues.com out for all sorts of great content on the Memphis Grizzlies, the Memphis hustle as well. Brandon Abraham, who I know, has been around uh, here and there and everywhere. He was on Locked On with Sean Coleman talking about the Memphis Hustle. Nobody covers the Memphis Hustle as well as Brandon Abraham, and nobody covers the Memphis Grizzlies like Parker and myself and all of us over at grizzlybearblues.com. It is a team effort. Ways to get in touch with the show, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow my associate editor over at GBB, Mr. Parker Fleming, at Paca underscore Flocka. You can follow the blog that we're fortunate enough to write and work for, grizzlybearblues.com, at SBN Grizzlies. And you can follow this podcast, the flagship show of Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, GBB Live, at GBB Live. We have a wonderful show for you this week. Very excited to welcome on our guest at this time. He does a tremendous job there in Memphis. He wears lots of hats. He does play-by-play on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, he's a fellow DMV person like me. He's a, an alumni of the University of Maryland, so he can relate to the crazy weather that I'm currently experiencing that is ruining uh, the aforementioned winter football season. I've uh, practiced in the gym and, and been miserable the last couple of days, but I'm going to try to not focus on that as much and focus on the host of middays over on Sports 56 WHBQ. I've been fortunate to be on the show with him multiple times. He and Eli do a great job over there along with everybody at Sports 56. His name is Greg Gaston. Greg, how are you doing, sir? I am doing fantastic, gentlemen. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm really looking forward to it, and I want to echo uh, what you guys have been saying. You guys do a terrific job. You have done it for years for all my 
Grizzlies inside information. I certainly go to you guys over at Grizzly Bear Blues. We've had uh, all you gentlemen, well, not just not all, but most of you guys on the radio show from time to time. Parker's been on. Joe, obviously, you're on an awful lot. Sean Coleman was on even today. So thank you for all you do for Grizzlies coverage in Memphis and the Mid-South and for any Memphis Grizzlies fans around the world. I, I call myself a proud GBB Papa often, Greg, because I, I'm very – one of my favorite things about being the site manager – and we've talked about this. You and I have talked about this before because uh, I've had a chance to meet you a couple of times at our draft parties and covering things at the forum. And Parker and I have talked about this. You know, I'm I'm a teacher and a football coach by trade. Like that's my actual job. Right. And and mm-hmm. this is this is as far as I'm going to get in media. Like there is no advancement for me from this point, which is totally fine. I'm not necessarily looking for that anyway. But it, it's so wonderful to see somebody like Sean Coleman who works his tail off so hard and is so unique with his voice and the way that he approaches the game of basketball and the Memphis Grizzlies, to see him take the platform that GBB provides and take it and, you know, make a, a niche for himself in the market, you know, whether it's locked on, having the opportunity with you, you've given us a platform, as you mentioned. Uh, it, it really is cool to see how GBB has started so many careers there in Memphis, whether it was Jonah Jordan, who used to write the Daily Memphian, uh, Kevin Life is another person who used to write for the Daily Memphian. Uh, or excuse me, he used to work for the uh, Memphis Flyer, and now he works for the Daily Memphian. There's just many examples of folks who have taken their experience of GBB and they've applied it in other areas of media and elsewhere. So that's one of my favorite parts of being site manager, and it, it means a lot that you place trust in us, Greg, to give good content on the radio over there at Sports 56. You know, it Memphis is a unique market in that it's a place that somebody like me can become a, a radio mainstay i guess when it comes to grizzlies coverage but um I, i'm i'm glad that i'm counted on for that and i'm glad that gbb has become that it means a lot and i'm glad that the memphis grizzlies have finally broken their losing streak i was starting to worry that i was the problem maybe i had to come back from paternity leave early and, <laughs> and, and inject some life into these memphis grizzlies but they did a wonderful job against the charlotte hornets they're definitely not going to hit 23 threes uh, every night that there's a reason that's a new franchise record but I want to start Greg with the run before the historic evening where they broke their losing streak and kind of focus on the games that they lost you know those four games that they tumbled and stumbled through uh, whether they got blown out as they did against Indiana or Houston or whether it was you know late collapses like it was against the uh, the Pelicans and the Raptors You know, it it was interesting to watch these games and not have to cover them as closely as I usually do for GBB because you can sit and you can, you know, try to enjoy it as a fan. But you can really see body language, the intricacies of the game. And and when it comes to Ja Morant in in particular, that's the perfect place to start, Greg, because Ja's body language until recently, until that Charlotte game especially, but maybe uh, you could start seeing it turn around a little bit against Toronto. He did not look like himself, not even necessarily in terms of his production, but in terms of the way that he carries himself on the court. One of my favorite things about John Morant, Greg, is he plays the game with such joy. And for about a week and a half there, I didn't see that as much from John. I don't know if something was going on at home. I don't know. You know, you don't want to speculate, obviously. But he clearly was not himself. And obviously, as John Morant goes, so go the Memphis Grizzlies. After the long winning streak... All good things come to an end eventually, so it's an easy cop-out answer to say, well, you're going to lose. You can't win all the games. But you can specifically look at certain things 
during that four-game losing streak and kind of come out of it and, and answer the question why they lost those particular games. And I think you're right on with John Morant, which I'll get to in a second. But you start that first game that they lost was at Indiana. And in that game, uh, you don't have Jonas Valanciunas. And now Jonas Valanciunas, and, and Joe, you, you've written about this a lot, and you, you tweet about it. There are times when you can see the Grizzlies having more success without Jonas Valanciunas being in there, depending on who they're facing, what type of lineup. But for the most part, Jonas Valanciunas brings a double-double to the game. Without Jonas Valanciunas in that game, Sabonis went wild. He went for 32 points, and they had no answer inside for what Sabonis was able to do, plus a guy who could obviously take it outside. But what you said about Ja, that started that little streak for Ja where he struggled. He was 2 of 10 from the field. He turned the ball over four times, and I think he got down on himself a little bit. A guy who certainly has to be a mainstay for the Grizzlies to be a success, and they play off his energy. And there was a little bit of that body language that you just referred to. And then you turn around, you got the Houston game where the Rockets went crazy with the 19 trays, but Ja, for the most part in that game, was outplayed by John Wall. He continues to struggle from the field shooting. He's only 28.2% from the field on three-point shots, and he knows he can be better than that. In fact, the other night after they broke the losing streak, he's out there shooting threes, practicing to be better. The New Orleans game at New Orleans, and it was a game that could have went either way, but Ingram and Zion, they combined for 56. They dominated, and when you start Gorgie Jang and Xavier Tillman's a, a rook, as you know, they got into foul trouble. Tillman fouls out, Jang gets four fouls. They had Jonas Valanciunas who came off the bench and could have played, I guess, more minutes, only played 23, was, was pretty productive for the 23. But the bigs really couldn't handle the bigs for, for New Orleans. And as you guys know, Ingram and Zion, they could take it outside. They could go inside. They're very versatile. And then you got the Toronto game, which is a game I, I still try to figure out why they lost and how they lost. Ja was better in that game. He was 18-9. No Kyle Lowry, who got hurt in the game. For the bulk of the game, he's not in there. And he is the, the mainstay of that team. He, he gets those guys going. And then Jonas went for 27 and 20, but they gave up 20 trades on 37 shots by Toronto. So there were different reasons why they lost each of those games during the four-game losing streak. But as you said, Joe, the Grizzlies will only go as far as Ja leads them. He doesn't necessarily have to go for 25 points, but he has to be out there to be that emotional leader, the guy who's distributing, and the vocal leader for the team. It's massively important that Ja Morant be that that beacon of hope, right? Because if and it's a lot to bear. Like we forget that Ja Morant is a 21 year old point guard in the NBA, and that point guard mm-hmm. is the most difficult position to be a young player at and be elite. Like we've been spoiled, right? How soon we forget the issues that Mike Conley had and how yep. he took so long to come along and eventually become the great NBA player that he now is. You know, people wanted to trade Mike Conley for Ramon Sessions. Uh, I wasn't around for that, but I, I did my, my research into Gristory and know that Conley was not somebody that was universally beloved early on the same way that Jaw is now. So, you know, Morant playing so well, especially in his rookie campaign and, and being mentioned in the same breath as Jordan and all these other players, you know, I, I think we let that get to our heads a little bit, and I'm guilty of that too. It's natural to expect so much from a player like that, but he's going to naturally have struggles. Parker, I'm curious, when you watch these games in person, obviously Greg has that opportunity being there in Memphis. You cover the games for us at GBB. 
Do you notice that body language when Jaw is off? I know that you, as well as you know John Roser, Lang Whitaker, others pointed out Jaw taking those extra threes at the end of the game against Charlotte, or after the game against Charlotte, I should say. Uh, do you notice that body language from Jaw? Does he seem frustrated, uh, outwardly frustrated, or is it something that you know maybe we're overreading because of his importance to the team overall? I don't think there's any overreading or anything to it. I mean, you you see, I think what you're kind of alluding to is, you know, he'll go inside, he'll go in for like a floater or a shot that he would typically make and miss it, and he'll visibly get frustrated. Maybe even if he gets a no call or whatever, he'll uh, flail his arms to the referee asking for a call. Meanwhile, the other team's getting back on defense, getting their transition offense going. I think it's pretty obvious, and... Uh, I think it's one of those things for him. He has to be careful because I think I heard Chris Vernon say this on his ringer show. The team takes on Jaws body language because he's the leader. He's the engine of the team. So he just has Mm -hmm. to be more careful as far as letting his emotions, or at least his negative emotions show. Because, you know, when you're upset, you're frustrated with your shots, you're upset with your play, it's not going to be any good synergy to the team. And I think we saw... And last night's win against Charlotte, what it's like when John Morant is in the zone and playing his game and, you know, having fun, throwing up the joggles like he did after that sweet no-look pass to Xavier Tillman. But I do think that's something that I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, he's young. He's 21 years old. Like, he can finally purchase a beer. So, <laughs> so I, it, It'll come, like, he'll fix his body language stuff. He's just young. Like you said, we forget that he's still so young because he's already so good. And to be completely honest, we haven't had a a good young player since, what, OJ Mayo, Rudy Gay. And Rudy Gay had a parade of uh, body language issues as well. So... I think it'll be fine. Like, but I do definitely see it. I don't want to like sugarcoat it. I definitely see it. Yeah, I was about. Well, to let say. me let me add to that, guys. Let me let me Please. add to that. He he's been thrust into that position by the organization. He knows exactly what he means. So he can say, "Well, I'm only 21," and this and that. But that's it. I mean, he's the guy. He's the guy moving forward. He's the guy that this organization is now building around. So you either accept that responsibility or not as a leader. And as a pillar for the team, I think he will. I think he'll embrace it. I think some – it's not it, – it's certainly not immaturity why he gets frustrated at times. I think there's still that lack of respect uh, across the board for, for Memphis. But hopefully John will start to get those calls that the stars of the league get. The other point is that John Morant, while not a great defensive player, becomes a worse defensive player when he gets frustrated on the offensive end. He lets that bother him on the other end. Those are things that he has to shore up because, as you guys said, he's the leader out there, and the players on that team will follow his lead. I do think it's important to point out, and I don't think any of us are saying this here, but you know, one of the things that's most impressive about John Morant is his leadership. When he was injured, he was one of the most active guys. We talk about bad body language. He had tremendous body language. He was outwardly supporting his teammates. He was coaching guys mm-hmm. up in huddles. You know, there's some NBA players that they get hurt and they just stay home, right? That they don't even bother going to the games or they go on, you know, like community leadership meetings, whatever Kyrie Irving did. 
you know, they, they're not even actively <laughs> with the team. Um, right. Th- then you have somebody like John Morant who's there, eats, sleeps, and breathes basketball. And I don't want to belittle what Kyrie Irving does because he helps a ton of people. But my point is, you, you know where Jaws heart is. You know that he is invested in basketball. He's invested in the Memphis Grizzlies. He's invested in the team. And you can see from a young age that he has those leadership skills and qualities that you look for in any player, regardless of age. But I do think it is just a, a friendly reminder that we are expecting a lot of a 21-year-old who has just uh, entered his second season in the NBA just about 20 or so games ago. And again, they had their season paused. Jaws dealt with his own injury issues with his ankle. Uh, it, it's going to be a, a broad-scale thing for him as he continues to improve. We're chatting with Greg Gaston of Sports 56 WHBQ there in Memphis here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. It's your it's your host, Joe Bolinex, back from paternity leave, along with my co-host, Parker Fleming. And, fellas, obviously the losing streak goes beyond job. And I wrote about that in my game preview that I returned to GBB with. It go, It's bigger than him. And for me, guys, it starts at the top with Taylor Jenkins and finding ways to adapt, you know, because whether it's his rotations that are always kind of funky and, and especially late in third and early in fourth quarters, which in fairness to Taylor is usually when coaches kind of experiment, but he has really – whether it's because of the injuries or whatever, he he has put out some lineups that don't make a ton of sense. Um, he has had issues with playing guys like Xavier Tillman and Gorgie Dang together too much, uh, playing John Conchar too much in spots. Uh, there's been all sorts of things that kind of make you raise your eyebrows. And then there's the issue of if you know that John Morant is getting blitzed, if you know that Morant is having issues, uh, as you wrote about Parker, where defenses are owning in on him, then why aren't you making adjustments? Why aren't you finding ways to get him off the ball more, getting slashed into the basket, getting different looks so that he can have more success offensively? So, Greg, for me, I go to the head coach and I say, Coach Jenkins, what are you going to do to put John Morant and the rest of these guys in better positions to be successful? Am I wrong for that in a league that uh, more than any other sports league in America is player-driven? And if you're going to be player-driven, you have to take the good with the bad. But at the same time, on a team that is so young, I think the head coach is pretty important. And I think that he could do a better job. And to his credit, he did against Charlotte, but it needs to continue. He needs to continue to put those guys in positions, not only to help Jaw, but to help themselves continue to be consistent. Because Morant's not going to be able to do this by himself. He's the leader of the boat. He's not the whole damn boat. <laughs> Joe, you're, you're, you're spot on. Uh, certainly, he is not without criticism. Now, I, I think there's a lot of things that uh, Taylor Jenkins has done really, really well. I, I really think he's adapted extremely well to being a head coach in the NBA. Agreed. And I think if the team was more stable, in other words, Jaron Jackson Jr. is not on the shelf. Justice Winslow finally is in Memphis uh, Grizzlies uniform playing. Then he has more consistency, knows his probably rotation a lot better than he does now, and maybe we don't see those lulls. But it has certainly reared its ugly head over the last couple of weeks with some of the rotations that he has used. Again, granted, you have seven, eight players every game on the injured list for whatever the reason is, whether it's, it's a, a legitimate injury, it's, it's a COVID thing. If it's a personal reason, Desmond Bain already is on the, the list tomorrow, won't play because of personal reasons against the Lakers. So these things add up, especially for a young coach, when you're trying to mix and match and find the right chemistry, 
who should be in the rotation. And so sometimes you get stuck with the wrong five out on the floor. The question is, why do you keep them in there? Why don't you, aren't you quicker to make the change and substitute and try something different? That's what drives me a little bit crazy about the NBA as opposed to college when coaches obviously have the quick hook. They're not worried about hurting somebody's feelings. These are 18-, 19-year-old kids as opposed to professional athletes. Why is there some, is there some rule where a, uh, a substitutes have to come in and play a certain amount of, of time when you all of a sudden see your lead shrink or dissipate completely because you have a lineup out there that doesn't make sense, but you stay with them? And I understand that you're resting other guys, but there are other choices, other options I would think that you would use. So your first point, Joe, is spot on about Taylor Jenkins. Again, he does a lot of great things. Recently, though, I think he's been put in a, in a tough situation because of who he's had to play with and try to mix and match while all these other guys are hurt. I think a more stable roster would make it a lot easier for him. And he's never had that, at least not in, in a very long time. No. He hasn't had that. And that is important to point out. I think Jaron Jackson Jr., Justice Winslow, DeAnthony Melton, Brandon Clark, now Desmond Bain, which breaks my heart. I hope everything's okay with Bain as he misses the Lakers game. Uh, for personal reasons, um, Bain is, a, as you guys both know, one of my personal favorites, and he should continue mm-hmm. to start, you cowards. Um, but I, I do think <laughs> I do think that there is something to that. When you don't have your full allotment of players, it makes you get a little more weird than maybe you're comfortable with. But it's also pretty clear, Parker, that this is by design, right? There was never really a time I think maybe Jaw was the only one who averaged over 30 minutes a game last year. And I do think that jaw is going to be the exception when it comes to the way the Grizzlies handle things. You can see it with the injury stuff, right? I mean, Morant, it was estimated three to five weeks that he would be out. And then all of a sudden he comes back, you know, right at the earliest part of three weeks, you know, jaws kind of on his own injury time period. Whereas, you know, Jaron Jackson, Jr. Justice Winslow, nobody's really sure when they're going to come back, if they come back uh, anytime soon. So it's interesting that Morant might be the exception to the rule, but, Playing these guys like Greg kind of alluded to there, it feels like sometimes the the losing is of their own doing because they're continuing to try to accumulate this data. Zach Kleiman has said that himself. This is a data accumulating data season, excuse (laughs) me. And he has made it clear that they want to figure out what they have in the roster that is currently together. So when you're doing that, you can't do that on the bench. You got to play guys minutes. But at the same time, you know, we keep forgetting, we talk about forgetting the jaw so young. We also keep forgetting that we're, we're in the second year of a rebuild here and they're still trying mm-hmm. to find the key pieces that are going to play along jaw and Jaron long-term. Uh, are they sacrificing winning in the pursuit of that, in your opinion, or is this just simply a case of they have so many guys out due to injury. They're trying to make the most of what they've got. You could just put it kind of simply as like a, I don't think it's anything by design. It's just like kind of like, what do you expect when you roll out that uh, thin of a team out there? You know, and that, that's not a slide. So you're so you're saying that when you play Tyus Jones, Grayson Allen, uh, John Conchar, John Conchar, Xavier Tillman, and Gorgie Dang, it may not end well. No, honestly, like that <laughs> oh, is, okay, that's interesting analysis, Parker. I think that's probably the scaredest I've been to watch Grizzlies basketball since they <laughs> made Marco Guterich a permanent member of the uh, rotation. But, yeah, I think that the whole rebuild thing is just kind of 
uh, clouded a little bit because this is year two of the rebuild. Technically, when this whole thing started before last season, when you made all these moves and stuff, you got John Morant, traded Mike Conley, you got Brandon Clark, uh, traded for D'Anthony Melton. You thought that in year two of the rebuild that you would probably be in the range where, you know, we're doing photoshops of Kay Cunningham in Grizzly jerseys or Jalen Green in uh, Grizzly jerseys or Evan Mobley. But, you know, they're actually pretty competitive. They're good. They're ahead of schedule. I don't mind the whole data accumulation stuff. And then also just being precautious with injury, whether it's Jaron Jackson Jr. and Justice Winslow or even Brandon Clark or D'Anthony Melton. I mean, yeah, I know people are like, oh, soreness injuries. Why don't they play through it? I mean, calf injuries, as Clark has, they can lead to a popped Achilles, as we saw with Kevin Durant in the 2019 playoffs. I mean, having a sore shoulder kind of hinders you from doing a lot of stuff on the basketball court, including those, one of the most important parts, shooting a basketball. But uh, I mean, I think it's, I think it's fine. Like I, I don't mind it because it's not about this season anyways. Like there's a bigger, longer uh, view to what's going on. And I, I don't know. I, I'm fine. I don't really mind all of it. I do kind of wish that the Taylor Jenkins would, Mix and match the lineups a little better so we aren't getting a pure bench lineup out there because that, that's not really that fun to watch. I get kind of scared. Yeah, I wouldn't go with a pure reserve unit either when you have so many core uh, cogs of your rotation out. But I, And I also like how you did a nice little plug for your long view recaps that you do after games over at grizzlybearblues.com. Yep. That was very... Wonderful product placement there, Parker <laughs> thank Fleming, you, thank you, within man. our GBB Live podcast. Speaking of our podcast, when we come back, we're going to talk to Greg Gaston of Sports 56 WHBQ Memphis about his, about, excuse me, about my co-host's favorite subject to defend on Grizzlies Twitter and on our blog, Dylan Brooks. That's coming up next. You're listening to GBB Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. I am back from paternity leave. I'm with my co-host, Parker Fleming, and we welcome Greg Gaston of Sports 56 WHBQ there in Memphis. He does a wonderful job on middays with Eli Savoy. They do remarkable work over at Sports 56. They've welcomed many GB beers on their airwaves uh, over the years, and it's much appreciated by us. So we're happy to have Greg on our podcast network here on GBB Live. And Greg, uh, I want to get your take on this before Parker poisons you and pollutes you. Um, I (laughs) have not yet done this. I'm going to sit down to write it when I am done recording this podcast, as a matter of fact. But there's going to be an article on Friday over at grizzlybearblues.com. And I haven't talked to Parker about this yet. Uh, The working title is something along the lines of The Tall Tale of Dylan Brooks. Or the uh, the myth of Dylan Brooks or legends and myths. I'm I'm playing with what it's going to be in my head, but anyway, I, I'm going to double side it. I'm going to be fair. I'm going to talk about how his offensive issues aren't as big of a deal as people make them out to be, and his defensive successes are not as successful as people make it out to be. Uh, for example, our GBB live question of the day. I feel like I, I'm already maybe uh, Grizzlies Twitter at least is on to my game a little bit. Uh, The question of the day was, who, in your opinion, is the best defender on the Grizzlies? Because I feel like some people would say Dylan Brooks. And in this particular poll of the 125 folks that voted, 24% of them, so about a quarter, did indeed say Dylan Brooks. 
But that means that 76% of the people voted either for other. I had a couple of votes for Xavier Tillman. People must remember that uh, Philadelphia 76ers game, and that's why they vote for X. Uh, 24% said Kyle Anderson, who was my personal vote. I think Kyle is the best defender on the Grizzlies personally. But almost 50% of the vote, Greg, went to DeAnthony Melton as the best defender on the Memphis Grizzlies. So that is at least double what Brooks got. Then you have Kyle Anderson, who tied Dylan Brooks. And yet we always give Dylan Brooks some slack for his offensive woes at times because we say he's one of the best defenders on the team. He takes on the toughest matchups, but he may not even be the third best defender on the team. So I'm curious as to your perception of Dylan Brooks uh, as I prepare to add a layer on to this conversation and say, well, maybe he's better offensively, or maybe we shouldn't give him as much crap for his offense, but that doesn't excuse the fact that he fouls too much, and he also isn't quite the defender that, say, Anderson and Melton are. There's a lot to digest right there. I saw your vote, and I, I saw the voting, and I saw the Anthony Melton get the nod over, over uh, Brooks. And I like Kyle Anderson as well because of his length to be as, as tall as he is and the move the way he does. And, of course, he's slow, in slow motion, but he's gliding with those lengths and, and those strides. And I, think and he, I like uh, the versatility, Greg. I like the versatility. Yeah, you, you can defend you can one play him out five. On the wing. Right, right. You can play him out on the wing. You can play him underneath the bucket, wherever you need the guy to play. And, and he alters a lot of shots because of the, of the length of those arms. Now, I like Melton personally better than Brooks as a defender. Uh, I, I think also his speed and quickness uh, will get more deflections and steals than, than Brooks does. I like Brooks because of his size. He's physical, so he can at least try to guard some of the bigger two guards in the NBA. Now, I've lo- see, here's the thing with Brooks. Coming out of Oregon, I loved him. I wanted the Grizzlies to get him in the second round. I, say, I said, get Dylan Brooks. And they got Dylan Brooks, and he's been – got to remember where he was, was chosen. And I think what he has brought to the team is, is probably more than what was expected from where he was drafted. But is he a starting two-guard in the NBA on a team that's going to make a run? And I'm not talking about the Grizzlies this year, but just overall general terms. No, I think he's an off-the-bench scorer. And when you look at his scoring, he's only 30.7 from three. So he, he, now he shoots volume, and he scores pretty well at 15.6. But it's not like this guy's shooting 39, 40% from three, whereas you have a young guy like Desmond Bain, again, small sample side with Bain, but shooting 48.2%, as you guys know, and looks like a better dead-eye three-point shooter than Dylan Brooks. But, but Brooks brings scoring. The problem with Brooks is he's not consistent. And they'll have games out there when he goes two for 13 from the field. And the better two guards, the better wings in the league, just look at these guys. They have an off game every once in a while because nobody's perfect. But they're more consistent on scoring those 15, 16 a game and and doing it uh, without having those lulls where you have a a five- or six-point game. He's doing a better job. We haven't seen much of that this year. But that's what I've noticed with with Dylan since he arrived in Memphis. But, again, you – you, you, you take it for what it's worth. This guy wasn't a top 10 pick in the draft. I think he has added a lot to the Grizzlies, but I don't think he's the guy moving forward for the future, whether it's going out and making some type of deal, doing something free agency-wise later, a couple of years from now, a year from now, or just bringing, like you said, Joe, Desmond Bain into that starting lineup 
And right now, of course, you have them both starting, but when everybody's back and healthy, do you keep Bain as the two and bring Brooks off the bench? So that's a long answer to your question, but he's, he's a complicated guy. No question about it with Dylan Brooks. I've said it multiple times, Greg. We have yet to see Dylan Brooks in his ideal role because even if you believe in him as a starter, he, he shouldn't be asked to do as much offensively. And when you see him getting into a rhythm and catch and shoot opportunities, when you see him being able to pick and choose his spots and not being dependent on for primary scoring and facilitation, he is a solid option, if not more than solid for this Grizzlies team. But going back to his rookie year, which is when the wheels really first fell off for this team, he has had to do more than the Grizzlies should ever have had to add to do. And I worry, Greg, that that long term is going to poison somebody because Dylan Brooks doesn't get to the NBA without the mentality that he has, right? The swagger that mm-hmm. he has, the intense work Shoot ethic, that, yeah, that is what got him here. And he's not going to change from that. But at the same time, that's what's given him this success. And he's been that player for Memphis for so long. I'm not sure at this stage whether he would accept that reserve role. I hope I'm wrong because I like Dylan in that role. I think he could be a sixth man key reserve on the next great Grizzlies team. Parker and I have talked about that a lot. And Parker, I'm going to give you an opportunity here now to interject and chime in and defend your boy. I know you own a lot of land on Dylan Brooks Island. Um, I, I think that, well, first off, I'm guessing you voted Dylan number one for the poll, but even if you didn't, there's no denying that he oftentimes is the one that is willing to take on the tougher responsibility defensively. He's the one that is willing to take the tough shots when even John Morant defers to him. And that has indeed happened. It's not all Dylan's fault that he's taking these shots. Um, I'm curious, Parker, as you watch him develop. And we all know that he's hot and cold, and that's not a surprise. It shouldn't be at this stage. But how much of it is to blame or how much of the blame is to be laid at his feet for the four-game losing streak? And how much do you carry the weight of his defense being better in terms of fouling? But again, if half of the fan base thinks that Melton or Anderson are better than him as a defender – does that negate his value even more than we already think it might be as a starter? I mean, I don't think it really does anything to like negate value uh, just because the, those two guys are outstanding defenders. I actually voted uh, Kyle Anderson. On the there you go. Clean sweep. Kyle Anderson sweep. He He's a very, very good defender who can realistically defend positions one through five. I mean, that term's thrown out there a lot, but he can actually do it. You know, I, I've, I've kind of cooled on defending Dylan Brooks a little bit this season. For one, I've gravitated a lot of energy towards standing Brandon Clark and D'Anthony Melton. But also, too, I'm not at this point. I'm not changing anybody's minds. Like I'm not going to convince somebody that Dylan Brooks is actually a really a really good basketball player who is a rotation player on a seven man playoff rotation who can get buckets off the bench or be a fourth option in the starting lineup. I'm not going to be able to convince anybody else that he's capable of that. And I basically just defend myself for Dylan Brooks now whenever Justin Lewis throws him into every single conversation about the Grizzlies possible. Shout, Shout out, out Justin, Justin Lewis. But, Shout yep. out 3 and D podcast host, GBB mm-hmm. yeah, writer, but, aggressive Dylan Brooks hater. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, while I'm cooling, that could be like a, a whole nother conversation. But I do think that 
the blame's not to rest on Dylan Brooks. It's on the injury bug. Dylan Brooks can't help that most nights he has to be the second go-to option, or even since defenses are just trapping John Morant at half court, then he needs to create something out of nothing because the other team doesn't want John Morant with the basketball in his hands. It's not Dylan's fault. I think we should kind of pass more judgment on Dylan Brooks when Jaron Jackson Jr. and Justice Winslow are back. Because as we saw last season, I, I think Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast put out a great thread on it. Dylan Brooks with Jaron Jackson Jr. in a starting lineup is really good because he's in a more ideal role as a third or fourth guy. And then he also had J- Jay Crowder put him in check. And granted, put him in check kind of just meant he took more shots. Like Jay Crowder just chunked also. I mean, you've and always for said the record, Dylan- for the record, we want to talk about hating on players. Greg mentioned that Dylan Brooks is shooting about 30% from three right now. Still yeah. better than Jay Crowder. Still exactly. better than Jay Crowder was as a exactly. player. But everybody yeah. loves Jay Crowder. I'll never understand it. Continue, Parker. But also, too, I want to see what Justice Winslow can do as well. Because theoretically, that's another playmaker out there. That's another guy that can go out and make life easier on Dylan Brooks, whether it's taking a, the tougher defensive assignment or getting Dylan more looks. Because when you think about it, a more than likely starting lineup of John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Justice Winslow, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jonas Valanciunas, what probably everyone else is envisioning. Dylan Brooks is probably the fifth option in that when you really think about it. And that's the ideal role. And I think we should wait to pass judgment until the actual pecking order is on the court. Instead but Parker, of does he want to be the fifth? But Parker, does he want to be the fifth option in a starting five? or the first option or second option, whatever the case may be, in the second five? Oh, I, I think you can absolutely sell him on being Lou Will or Jamal Crawford. Just mention those two names in there, and I think Dylan sold. I would agree. I, I think that there's definitely wiggle room there. I get more nervous about it every time I see him sit down and talking about how he needs to be aggressive and, and all that stuff. But I do think if you show him tape of Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, those guys that were so good at it you know Dylan really gives off those vibes and in theory he could be a better defender than those guys and be even more valuable because of his skill set that he does have as a tenacious defender he may not be as good physically as Kyle or DeAnthony I think those are fair points to make but you can't deny his tenacity you can't deny his toughness um, he, he brings a lot of swagger and a lot of that grizzly standard identity comes from Dylan Brooks, whether people want to admit it or not. Uh, Greg, we'll get you out of here on this. I'm curious, uh, what do you think will come of this team when they are uh, totally healthy, if that even happens? Uh, do you see them being active at the trade deadline? Well, I, I don't know how active they'll be. I, I don't really think they will be, but uh, I've been surprised before. Uh, a comment that Parker made earlier, which I agree upon, that they are ahead of schedule in the rebuild. The problem is they're behind on Justice Winslow. We need to see that guy on the court to see what he can bring to the table and then combinations with him. And then eventually Jaron Jackson Jr., but we know what Jaron can do when healthy. So that's the first thing I think that we need to find out as fans, but the team, more importantly, needs to find out what they have in Justice Winslow. Because if Justice Winslow is healthy and is the guy they thought he could be when they made the trade, then there, there's going to be a player or two that is probably going to be dealt. 
because they're going to have a plethora. They're going to have too many players and too many wings. So that's what I want to see first. I think you're exactly right. And, you know, delayed gratification isn't something that we do particularly well in 2021. But uh, I do think as a, as a Grizzlies fan base, as a Grizzlies media block, whatever you want to call us, all together in, in Grizzliesdom, I think patience is the key word, seeing what this team will look like once they are indeed healthy. Greg Gaston of Sports 56 WHBQ in Memphis. You know how much I respect you and appreciate you and all the work you do there uh, at Sports 56. Uh, we will definitely have you back on the show down the road, and we appreciate everything that you're doing, and we appreciate your time for this week's show. Right back at you, Joan Parker. Thank you so much for all you do. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. And like you said, uh, hope to get back on with you guys. You guys uh, really bring it, and everybody should be following and listening to you guys for Grizzlies coverage. Follow Greg Gaston at Greg underscore Gaston. For Greg, for Parker, I am Joe Molinax. It's so good to be back with you guys. Continue to check out grizzlybearblues.com. As the G League bubble is now underway, we're covering that like nobody else. We obviously cover the Grizzlies as in-depth as anybody out there. We're proud of the work we do, and we're excited to continue to bring it to you over at grizzlybearblues.com. So for Greg, for Parker, I am Joe Molinax. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.